1: Well, welcome to week three of our Nehemiah Project, or excuse me, Nehemiah series called Rise Up and Build, Nehemiah Projects for later. You guys will learn about that. Um, we're really excited to be able to be here again. Uh, if you are newer with us, Welcome. If it's been a while since we've seen you, welcome back. Um, If you're watching online, welcome. And if you're listening to the podcast later, again, welcome. We're so glad that you are a part of our service and whenever you're a part of the service. And as you can tell, for those of you who are watching or are with us live, it's a different order here. And and we'll build as to why that is um, in a few moments. Now we are, um, again, we're in week three, but this is also week one or the completion of week one for many of us who um, have been joining with other churches in order to do a time of prayer and a time of fasting. And so I know there are several other churches in this season that are seeking what God has for 20, during a 21 day time of fasting and prayer, and so um, we've been able to partner and, and come alongside, I mean praying for a lot of great things, um, but recognizing that we're all kind of in different places. We don't know where, what it is that we're, I don't know what all of you are experiencing, what you're all going through, but know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you showed up today or turned on the screen or pushed play later on, um, and that we're so thankful. And we hope you know how much God loves you, that if you hear nothing else from the rest of the sermon, from the rest of the service, and if all you do is, is leave this time together with the recognition that you are deeply loved by God, then this will have been a worthwhile time together. I'm going to ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we enter into God's word and see what he has for us as we look at Nehemiah chapter 3 together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is... Uh, joining us right now, whether in person, watching online live, or listening later. God, I thank you for the fact that each person who hears this voice is someone who, who you formed and created, someone that you love and you have purpose for, someone that no matter how lonely we may feel, that they are not alone, someone who, Jesus, you died for in order to extend a relationship with the Father. And Holy Spirit, each person here is someone who you want to draw closer to the Father today. I pray that as we dive into your word that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're gonna be primarily in Nehemiah chapter three, but we'll actually start in Nehemiah 2, verse 17 and 18 if you wanna move that direction. And our topic today is the idea of builders of our city. That two weeks ago, week one, we talked about the burden for our city, praying, weeping, mourning, fasting for the city, for people in need who need to find God. Last week, we talked about boldness and how Nehemiah went forward to the king and, and he was boldly sharing, he, he was persistent and he was courageous, he was ready when the time came to be bold. And how that relates to our walk with God and specifically maybe how we want to reach people who don't know Jesus to be persistent, to be courageous, to be ready. And today we're going to look at building the city and what that looks like. Now, I, uh, just a quick show of hands, how many of you Are really like you have a gift for building stuff like you like you have a gift of craftsmanship you have design abilities you have the ability to do stuff. can you can can I see like a a show of hands awesome now if you're like me I have zero ability to be able to build anything with my hands like I can build like uh, I used to do like spoken word or poetry so I can like build like meter and rhyme Uh, I like to um, rap Hamilton, so I think that I have abilities to do things, but really I'm just following what they do. Um, I'd like to be able to, uh, you know, build the structure of a sermon or a sermon series, but when it comes to physically building something, probably the, the most experience I've had in the past several years is putting IKEA furniture together, which is not exactly, um, not exactly the, uh, the most skilled of things, although I will say uh, there's, there's one specific one where it was a, our coffee table And you turn it upside down. And because if you've used, if you've put together IKEA furniture before, you know that there's not verbal instructions. There's just pictures. So it's like grown-up Legos. It's like pictures. And then, you know, you just kind of follow along. And there was one where it was a screw that had um, the threading all the way up. So on both sides, because it would go to the bottom of the board. And then that would also need to go to the leg of the table when you turn it upside down. And so the instructions are literally... Use your hands to try to grip this corkscrew all around, and use your hands to try to twist it, which is incredibly um, ineffective, uh, painful, and uh, I think the Hebrew word is "angrifying." Like, just it angrifies me. It's not a real word, but uh, we'll try. But recognizing that this is—it's—it's it's frustrating, and I've—I've I've never been great at building things. You know, my daughter, Elise, she, can, like, she's, she was stacking blocks up for, you know, from when she was really little. I'm like, that's a skill I don't have. Many of you are able to just see something, you can put it together, and, it's, and it comes together beautifully. Now, when it comes to what this looks like, it's this idea of, I know that an IKEA table, as much as I like IKEA, and, and we have a lot, and so um, it, it's good, that doesn't last forever, right? Whenever we try to build things, it's like there are times when I, um, jealous isn't the right word, that's not the right word, but I can respect and admire people who go into construction or people who do something that at the end of the day, they can look back and say, I built this, or I made this, or I completed this. Because sometimes, and this is not a complaint, this is, this is the joy, and sometimes the, the work of ministry is that it, there's not a lot of times like, okay, all right, everybody, we've completed evangelism, or we've completed discipleship. It's an ongoing process. But being able to have those moments where it would like, be so good, to be able to go at the end of the day and be like, I completed this, I built this, I did that. And so for us we're going to look at today Nehemiah chapter 2 cuz there's a call at the end of 2 and the beginning of 3 Because this idea, of we've looked at the burden Nehemiah had for his city. He prayed for it when he was the cupbearer of Artaxerxes in the Persian Empire. That he started praying in November, December, and then four months later, we learned last week, he was able to have the opportunity in the month of Nisan, which is around March, April, to actually go and boldly declare to the king Artaxerxes what was going on. That he was sad, which could have been in front of the king, which could have been imprisonment, it could have been demotion, it could have even been death. But instead, the king, Artaxerxes, says, you know, why are you so sad? And he says, well, why wouldn't I be sad? My city is in ruins. The king says, what do you need? And he sends Nehemiah off with all the letters of, not recommendation, but of protection, with all the the wood from Asaph at the lumberyard, with all the materials necessary, with a group of people in order to make this building project happen, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So... What we're going to do as we look here and these, these verses together is we're going to take a look at a few of the things that these builders had that, that maybe hopefully encourage and challenge us when it comes to what they had and how we can follow along. Because, friends, if you were just to read Nehemiah 3, if Nehemiah 3 was on your uh, uh, reading plan for, for the year or if you was like, oh, I'm supposed to read a chapter a day, this chapter can, can seem like a chapter, That would be easy to overlook. It could be, it seemed to be a chapter that would be easy to just um, kind of skim through because it's a lot of names. It's a lot of this person works next to this person. And we don't know, A, who those people are, B, how to pronounce their names, C, where they're working on. So it'd be really easy to just kind of glaze over. But friends, as we know that all of scripture is God-breathed, all scripture is useful for teaching and for rebuke and encouragement and so if it's in this word there's a reason for it and so I love opportunities to look at passages that maybe would be easy to to pass by to gloss over and to see why why is it in here what can that mean for us and how will that impact what we live or how we live so we're going to start here because the beginning thing I want us to remember about the builders that they had left Persia. They come here. There's that group with Nehemiah. And the first thing that the builders that we learn about in, verses, in chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, is the idea that they were committed to this vision. The builders were committed to the vision, but the builders didn't know how, just how committed Nehemiah had already been. Remember, Nehemiah has been praying for months. He was weeping and mourning for his city for months. He started fasting, and he was seeking out, God, what, how can I help rebuild my city then he goes, and when he first gets there, he takes an evening stroll through the city to see how bad really is it. How, how devastating is, are the walls, what needs to be done. And in fact, he doesn't tell the people what he's doing. In verse 16, it talks about how he, the officials, they didn't know what he was doing, because he didn't say anything specifically about what was, what the work would be. So, but then verse 17, Then he said to the people, after he had looked at it, after the people in Jerusalem know how bad it is, he says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. We'll pause there for a moment. The reason that was a disgrace is because it was a city that was ravaged by the Babylonians in 587 BC. And this is now about 445 B.C. So 140 years have passed since the Babylonians had come, had ransacked the city, had then taken the exiles out, and had left some people behind. And then all of a sudden, the walls that had once protected the mighty city of God, David's city, the city that was, would show to the world who God's people were, was completely lying in ruins. It was a disgrace because anyone who would be walking by that city over the past previous 140 years would say, you know, there was a people here who thought that God was, that there was only one God, and he would only protect them. But look, clearly, clearly that's not true. That the lack of the walls and the building up of Jerusalem was not just a disgrace to them and how they didn't keep up with it, but also a disgrace to the testimony of the world around them regarding who God was. So, Nehemiah does what great leaders do. He builds the, the, the frustration saying, look, what we have here is not good enough. We must work on a project. Let's, let's rebuild something. And he creates a dissatisfaction of the here and the now in order to create the commitment to the vision for the there and the then and the future. He says this in verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of mine God on me and what the king had said to me. He gives the testimony. He doesn't start off with, here's my five-point plan. He gives the testimony of, here's how God opened the door for us to get here. Did you know I started praying in the 20th year of Artaxerxes in the month of Kislev? And it took four months until I actually had the opportunity in the month of Nisan and I've got everything, we're ready to go. But look how God opened doors. Sometimes being able to just share your testimony opens the doors for people to be awakened to the vision God has for your life, for their lives, And for his kingdom. And then, verse 18, the commitment to the vision is here. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Let us start rebuilding. He could have said, Let's rebuild, let's rebuild, let's rebuild. But he had to paint the picture, a vision, a preferred picture of the future to say, This is why. Because we don't want to be a disgrace and we don't want God to be disgraced. How things have been are not good enough. Therefore, we, we've seen the trouble we're in. This is not good, so let's do this. And the people come alongside, and they, they're convicted, they're challenged, they're encouraged, they're, they're emboldened to say, let's start rebuilding. But this commitment to the vision is something that um, is important for us because you hear it a lot if you're in uh, the corporate circle or been to churches before. You, you hear a lot about vision statements and things like that. But it's this idea of this complete commitment to the vision that allows for us to be able to, allows for people to be able to get behind it. There's no going back. There's a very famous or, or well-known story that when Hernan Cortez came to the Yucatan in order to, um, he left Cuba, he got the blessing from uh, the mayor Velazquez in order to come over and to just trade with uh, the indigenous people there. But it turned out he and, the, he and the guy from Cuba, they got into an argument and in fact, Cortez was going to be arrested before um, he left because the guy from Cuba is like, I know you're up to no good. But he ended up going, he left a few days early, then he got and he arrived where he was going to and then the story goes is that he burned his ships in order to proved to the people that there's no way to go but forward, but in reality he didn't burn the ships. When you look into the story a little bit more, he didn't burn the ships, he scuttled the ships, which is a word I learned this weekend, as when it, you allow the, the, the hull of the ship to have enough holes that it sinks the ship all the way down. He didn't burn it, but he still destroyed 14 out of the 15 ships that they had. One had gone back to Spain to, in order to get requests to, to conquer the land. But the reason this is important is that there had been, because some people who were on his crew were upset and they wanted to maybe go back to Cuba, they, they didn't really want to follow him. So some people were, um, were punished and there were people who were trying to mutiny. But the idea behind it was that he said, okay, we're scuttling these ships. We're gonna make it so there is no way to go back because we are so committed to go forward. Now, why he did it is not great. What he was wanting to do was not necessarily great, but it paints the picture of a commitment to a vision. Another example might be what uh, were once termed one-way missionaries. One-way missionaries were Christians who, what they would do, this is about uh, a couple hundred years ago, 100 to 200 years ago. When they would be called into a missions field, what they would do is instead of packing their bags and their suitcases, they would pack their belongings in a coffin in order to be sent back because they knew that they were only gonna get a one-way trip. They knew that as they went out, they were so committed to the vision of seeking and saving the lost, that they would go and say, I know I'm not coming back. They're one-way missionaries. But we'd be remiss if we thought that was something that just happened then. That um, I know some, my previous church, we supported a, a, a missionary or an organization in India and that organization would, would do um, Bible seminaries and would train and would send out seminaries to go to Nepal. And they would say goodbye to their families knowing they would not see them again here on earth. And this was 10 years ago, five years ago. See, there's a commitment that happens to a vision when we say we are willing to leave everything and we are willing to say we know we won't be coming back in order to pursue the vision. And so whereas Cortez is is one that we hear all the time and it's not a good vision, it shows commitment, but not to the right vision. One way missionaries point us to the importance of committing ourselves to seeking and saving the lost. To being a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. To shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. To go and to baptize people, teaching them to do everything that Jesus commanded them to make disciples, to be people who are building God's kingdom. Commitment to that vision is one, friends, that it's worth laying down our lives for. It's a vision that is worth giving up everything and knowing we may have to say goodbye to everything because everything we've hold on to or want to hold on to, we would be able to receive infinitely more not not tangibly necessarily but eternally which i could build an ikea table that lasts for a couple of years or we could build god's kingdom which is eternal the builders were committed to the vision number 2 the builders mostly did their part played their part excuse me let me let, let me explain let me read Now we're into Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to read 1 through 4, and then verse 5 is going to be on the screen. So the first four verses, you can listen or follow along in your Bible as well. But here's what he says. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imrim, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakus, repaired the next stage, section. I, I, it's riveting. Keep, stay with me. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. Also, real quick, unrelated, uh, I've learned that the trick to reading Hebrew names that are hard to spell or hard to pronounce is just read it fast with confidence, and it doesn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mahasha." Like, yeah, that sounds like a great name. Um, sorry, that was behind the, the pastor veil. Anyways. Um, so we're reading the first four verses together, and, and here's the thing. It's, it's pointing out listen, these people started here. They worked on this gate. Next to them were these people here who started working on this section next to them. So all of them played their part. I'm going to put up a a picture on the the screen. I know it's a little hard to see all the detail, but I wanted to give you a little bit of the idea of the scope. So this is Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah. Um, There were, if you can see the numbers, you don't need to read all of them necessarily, Um, but what you'll see is that the project starts um, up in the north, uh, the northern section there. And you'll see it starts and it goes, um, excuse me, counterclockwise. So you start to see the different spots. And you say, okay, this is where the, the gate is. This is where the Tower of the Hundred is. And so it's very organized. There is about um, at least two and a half miles worth of walls that were surrounding the city. The city at the time only had about a thousand actual residents that were there the wall was divided into 40 different sections, or at least we see 40 different people or groups of people assigned to a specific section to approximately 250 feet per group. And so each one was supposed to say, okay, your job is to, is to be right here. You do this role. And your job is to do this role, one next to the other. You'll notice, perhaps, in that reading of Nehemiah 3, verses 1 through 4, that there are different words. There's some that say they rebuilt the wall, and there are others who talked about how they made repairs. When you made repairs, it means that the wall was, was decent, and they just shored it up a little bit. If they repaired, excuse me, rebuilt the wall, it was because it was completely in shambles. So there's different degrees of layers of work. There was different degrees of, of, of you know, how much or how hard it was going to be The first name that we see, Eliashab, he is the high priest at this time. So this is is something that is dedicated and started from the very beginning, or excuse me, from the very top of of their structure, that the high priest was rolling up his sleeves and was getting work done just alongside everybody else. So we see that this was no small feat, no small undertaking, but it had to be really clearly organized. Now everyone played, mostly, played their part. I've shared before that when at my previous uh, previous church, I, we did a play, uh, High School Musical, uh, in 2008, where it was, you know, one that we invite church friends and family and the, and the community would come, um, and I got to play, uh, if you've ever seen High School Musical, which I don't expect all of us in here have, but a few of us in here have, um, uh, there's a skater who like plays the cello so I had like my own solo which was like my I I joked before that if I didn't if I wasn't a pastor I would love to be like a Broadway star even though again I think I can do things I can't do like all of us right but I had like my two lines and I was singing and I did like a little it wasn't a flip but I thought it was a twirl so um, it was really fun but that was my role right and I had my solo and and I remember just this moment of like it was during the, one of the last rehearsals, and the director was like, "JP, you're always late on your on your cue." And I'm like, you know, "I'm like, well, um, we've been doing this for months. You could have told me earlier, but I didn't say that. That would be rude." But this idea of like, I I was trying to play my part, but if I was just a half a beat late, it throws off some of the music. It throws off what's going on next. Could you imagine, maybe some of you have your different roles, like you've been in plays or you've been in performances, and imagine if you just didn't play it. If I was, everyone's looking, and it's time for my soul, and I'm just like, no, just like start looking at my phone and do nothing, that all of us play our parts. This is one of the lessons we're, we're working on with our girls, because Kids Praise is coming up. We did it this past, uh, this past season, it was really great. Jingle Bell Beach during Christmas. There's another one that started this past Wednesday, but you can still join in um, if you'd like. But it's the kind of dynamic where someone may want to roll, wants a part, and if you don't get that part, it can be really discouraging. But one of the things I was trying to help our girls understand and help remind myself is that we don't always get to pick the part we play, but we can pick how well we play the part. We don't get to pick, we might, we might have had dreams, you know, I would have loved that when I was younger, I wanted to play Major League Baseball. Here's the problem, this is not just a clever romantic comedy title, I really had trouble with the curve, like I didn't know how to hit a curveball. And so by the time I was 11, I was, you know, out, out of baseball. We all have a part to play. We don't get to pick the part we play, but we get to pick how well we play our part. And so we see one person after the other. So Eliashib, they did this gate, and then the people next to the men of Jericho, they did this part, and adjoining them, they did this, and it's all lined up. It's very organized. Yet the reason I said mostly people played their part is that we see a specific group of people who did it. In verse 5, it says this, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. In other words, the the nobles, the people who were over the men of Tekoa, the the aristocrats or the ones who were higher up, they were like, no, I'm not going to lower myself to that work. I'm not going to roll up my sleeves. People should be serving me, not me serving the people. And we get a picture of how Jesus told us that he came Not as one to be served, but as the one who serves. That, friends, as leaders in our homes, in our classes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, we ought to be ones that roll up our sleeves and play our part, no matter how humbling the part may feel. Because we don't get to pick the part we play, but we get to pick how well we play that part. So, they were committed to the vision. They mostly, outside of the nobles of Tekoa, played their part. Third, the builders were united in purpose. They were united in this purpose. And by that, not just committed to the vision, but I wanna emphasize the united part because we're gonna look and we're gonna read some of the next few verses together and we're gonna see that these people who come alongside come from different walks of life. And yet that did not stop them from having the same vision and the same purpose. Verse 6, the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida. See, I didn't do the thing. I messed up already. I should have said it faster and with more confidence. Joida, uh, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Bethsaida. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. And on verse 7, next to them, repairs remained by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranath, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. So, these are people that were not living inside Jerusalem, but they came together for this project. Uziel, son of Hathiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Goldsmith, this would not be normally underneath that person's area of expertise or, or their uh, specific vocation. Hananiah, one of the perfume makers. Now you know of a goldsmith, a goldsmith may at least know how to like use tools, but a perfume maker may not be, may be very unversed or not well versed in some of those building materials. That person made repairs next to them. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And then Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. So we see here that there's goldsmiths, perfume makers. There are men who are servants, like the men of Tekoa. We see that there's a ruler of a half district. So someone who's in a position of authority, rolling up his sleeves. We already mentioned how Eliashib, who's the high priest, he was working hard. So... You start to see that it's people from different walks of life, different geographical areas, different callings, different responsibilities. They were all united in the purpose of let us rise up and build. Let us start rebuilding the walls because this is a disgrace to our God and to our people. Let us rebuild. And it brought people together that would not normally come together. Now, if there's... This is impressive to me um, as a leader, seeing Nehemiah bringing different people together. Because um, in general, overall, it's really hard to get a lot of people united over the same thing. Right? Like even here, like if I were to say, um, like are there, is there other football fans here today? people who watch football. Okay, so if I were to say, I'm sure that everyone in this room and everyone watching online, I'm sure all of you are rooting for the 49ers to win uh, at the one o'clock game. Are there any people who are rooting for the Cowboys? Wow. Well, there goes that sermon illustration, but go Niners, this is great. Um, But recognizing that it's hard to get, even people who all love football will be wanting different things, right? Even people who want something like It's hard to get people united. If I were to say here that universally, unequivocally, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the best candy, do we have people who agree? Do we have people who disagree? See, even when there's just pure truth being spoken, you guys don't fully understand. I'm just kidding. So, but again, any of these, like these are small things, right? It's Reese's, Niners, the best. But it doesn't doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, right? Getting people united for one task, one purpose, one vision is hard back then, and it's hard if not harder now, because things are so much more divided. Yes, there's different people from different geographical regions trying to get on the same page. People from different roles and hierarchy in society trying to get them on the same page. People who would not work together normally working together—it's hard. It's been especially hard over the past couple of years. We all know this. But to be able to be united in purpose and singular in purpose is a beautiful thing. There's a story that goes in 1961 when JFK, JFK had commissioned NASA, we want to be on the moon. And the, as the story goes, that in 1962, he's doing a tour of the NASA facility and he sees a man who's sweeping the area. He's a janitor in the area. And he says, sir, why, why are you working so late? and the janitor supposedly responds, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. That the idea was everyone, everyone, because of that call to get we want to get a man on the moon in 1961, NASA arranged and organized and structured it all to say, everybody, if you are here and you are someone who works with all the, the navigation, you are helping put a man on the moon. If you are here and you are someone who's figuring out telemetry and physics, you are helping put a man on the moon. If you're here answering phone calls, you are helping put a man on the moon. If you are here sweeping up when everyone's left, you are helping put a man on the moon. Being singular in purpose, united in vision, and then united in that purpose to say, we are all doing this together. Doesn't matter the part we play, because we don't get to pick our part, but we get to play how well we play our part. But recognize no matter what it is, what unites us in order to say, there's a purpose that is worth all of us being on the same page. That friends, we are called We are honored. We are commissioned. And it can be tough sometimes. But we are called to be lights in this world. Not to muddy ourselves up and look like the world as much as possible. Not to hide our light under a bushel basket. Not to to shrink, but to shine. Not to hide, but to stand firm. Not to only give judgment, but to speak truth in love, to be able to be in the image of Jesus who, when he's faced with the woman who caught into adultery, he says, well, is there no one here to condemn you? No, sir. Neither do I condemn you. So there's grace, but go and sin no more. So there's still holiness and truth. We've been called to seek and save the lost. We've been called to serve those around us. We've been called to mourn with those who mourn and to weep and to pray and to fast for our city and our state and our nation and our world. God has put our church here in this place, in this time, in this season, in this climate in order to have an impact for his kingdom. We can try to build something small like an Ikea table the last a few years. Our friends, we could be united in the purpose of building God's kingdom, which will last for eternity. We could be united in our purpose together. Lastly, with the last few minutes I have together, the builders were invested personally. They were invested personally. And here's what I mean by that. We're going to pick up the story in verse 10, read through verse 12, and that'll be the, the, the end of our passage together. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Haram, Harumpah, uh made repairs opposite his house. Hattush, son of Hash, Hashbaniah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of Ahaschuk of Jerusalem, repaired the next station section with the help of his daughters." If you look on the screen, I highlighted a couple phrases there that I wanted to bring emphasis to. Nehemiah was wise as a leader because he was saying, "We, you've been living, he goes to people who are living on the inside of the wall, that the wall hasn't existed. So these people know that any raiders could come in, anyone could come and attack, And so he's saying, listen, all I want you to do is I want want you to build the section outside of your house. Protect your family. Protect your loved ones. And if you build that and you do that part, you play that part, then the whole wall will be rebuilt. So he has people repairing sections right outside of their house. And then we also see the idea later on that, that there's a group who repaired with the help of his daughters. That this was a family project together. This was not just meant for, you know, adults, but that even people, the whole family was involved. They were personally invested in seeing their families protected and their families being part of building God's kingdom and building up the walls again. That one of the reasons why I'm so grateful to be, I love being a part of the preschool and having Elise go through the preschool. I'm invested personally when the preschool. I love being able to have our children's ministry with Mary and Susie and the team that do a fantastic job and I'm invested because my girls, my daughters are part of that ministry. I love being a part of the youth ministry for the past season and being able to go there and see what God is doing in the students because I know my oldest is far closer to youth ministry than she is to the nursery now. There's an investment that happens and a passion that happens and a commitment to vision that happens when we are personally invested. That if we were to say hey go pray for your, the schools where your kids attend would you have a vision would you have would you have a reason to do that walk around their school after you drop off your kids and take 15 minutes to just pray over the school would there would there be an investment in that a personal investment of course but to be able to pray over when kids go play soccer down at uh, North County or when they are able to be a part of other activities, going to high, would there be an investment in praying and walking and praying around those and saying, this is, this is our city. God has placed us here for a season, for a time, for a purpose, for his glory, for his kingdom. See, God is still looking for these kinds of builders. God is still looking for builders who are committed to the vision. Still looking for builders who are personally invested. Those who will play their part. He's still looking for those who are united in purpose. When I first uh, became a Christian, I gave my life to the Lord September 20th, 2003. Drove down from LA County, went to uh, came down here to UCSD, and. When I showed up to the Rock Church in San Diego, that's the church I would attended. Um, I decided to attend for that year when I was in school. And I showed up for that first weekend. They were talking through Nehemiah. In fact, they were starting what's called Nehemiah Project 2003. So they called it NP3. And it was a building project. They were meeting in Montezuma Hall in San Diego State University. And they were going to build a, a new location over in the Point Loma area off Rosecrans. And so they started going through... Nehemiah together. And it was fascinating and I loved it. I was jumping right into what God had and and diving right into church and being plugged in and invested. And so then they had an event in which they were saying, okay, who's going to commit? Who's going to commit to donating monthly for the next three years? Nehemiah Project for three years, NP3, in order to have this happen. So I remember being there and And he was saying, like, you're going to, there'll be bricks that will line our new wall with the names of people who are part of our church to help donate. Friends, I donated for for three years. Uh, We moved back here in 2018. And it wasn't until this past week that I actually had a chance to go see the building. I have a picture here that... Um, at their groundbreaking ceremony, what they did is they had bricks that people could write prayers or could write praises or can write the names of people. And inside, and they would write it all down and they would place it inside their auditorium. And if you go to the next picture, this is one wall, but that's just one portion. That wall, that amount is probably duplicated or, or probably done about five or six times of people's prayers and names and people coming alongside that God is still looking for builders, and He has His eyes on our church. He has His eyes on our city as we are joining with other churches in prayer and fasting and seeking what God may have for us personally, for our city, for our state, for our nation, for our world. So if God is still looking for those kind of builders, are you in? Are we in? Yes, so here's what I want you to do, or here's, here's part of how we could come alongside one another in that. And I love that response. When you showed up, you saw cards that were on your seats. Now, as I mentioned, some of us, we, I started the fast, and we, I, I apologize if I was not as clear. One of, the, one of the curses of being someone who communicates is I always think I'm more clear than I am. Uh, One of my favorite quotations is that one of the biggest misconceptions about communication is that it's happening Um, and recognizing that I think I'm clear and it's not always clear. So our church was starting a fast last Monday on January 10th through the 30th. Now I communicated that it doesn't have to be food, it could be fasting from something else. It could be whatever that looks like. We're going through a Bible reading plan that we sent out. If you're interested, go to pomerado.com slash 21 days to get a link to that. But what I want to do is I'm asking, the reason we have worship at the end of our service today is that we wanted to create a space and some time over the next three songs, two or three songs, that if you've started a fast, and if you've already done that, then we'd ask that you'd fill out that card Let us know, put your name on the front, and then on the back side, so not not everyone's going to see that. It's not something that the back will not be displayed, but the front, we would love to see who's in with building God's kingdom through our church, who's in on this time of prayer and fasting. And so if you're starting now, maybe you've not been with us for a while, like, oh my gosh, this is day seven. Friends, we invite you for the next 14 days. Don't let the reason that you're late be a reason you don't show up, right? Jump in and join us. But you could fill that out and then on your way out or later, uh, during the next couple songs if you like, there's a basket on a table right by the double doors and the glass uh, over there so you can do that. You can drop that off. May this be an act of worship when God looks upon our church and sees people who are builders, who are committed to the vision, people who play their parts, people who are personally invested, and people who are united in purpose. Because friends— They built the wall in 52 days. God uses people who want to be used by him. May we be among those people. And friends, if you're watching online, if you go to the resources tab, there is the same form that we have here. About one third of the way down is a form for you to fill out so you can fill that out and be a part of this as well. So we know that people are praying whether in person or online. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for um, a chapter, Lord, in Nehemiah 3 that has a lot of names and and has a lot of details that maybe in our context, we don't fully um, understand all of them, Lord, but we know, we know that there were people who were committed to your vision. We know there are people who, for the most part, played their part. We know that there are people who are united in purpose and we know that they were personally invested God, may we be builders like them. May we rise up and build your kingdom starting in our homes and in our city and that, God, you would be glorified and lives would be changed and eternities would be changed because a church, a group of churches decided to pray and to fast and to draw close to you and, and, and intercede, stand in the gap for those around us. Lord, I pray that as we enter into this time of extended worship for a few songs that you would stir in our hearts that some of us know what we're doing. We can fill it out right away. God, some of us, maybe we're hearing it for the first time. May you speak to us and help us to know what it is that you might be calling us to pray about, potentially fast about, and that we would draw close to you by reading your word every day over the next few weeks. God, we love you. May you be pleased with your builders here at Pomerado Christian Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening, so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.